Amen. Just want to clarify that I myself am not actually part two of the devil. I'm just speaking on <laughs> the devil part two or the devil reloaded, devil episode two, attack of the devil. Um, so yeah, as, as Theo has said, that's the book we're going through, Live No Lies um, by John Mark Comer. It's so good to be amongst you this morning and a real privilege to get a chance to speak to you uh, on this, as Theo says, this somewhat challenging topic. And I wanted to start with a little bit of a, a, little bit of a disclaimer, a little bit of, a, just a bit of openness and honesty from my perspective, because um, to be frank, if I was choosing what I was going to speak on, um, I might not choose the subject of the devil. <laughs> uh, and actually, uh, to be particularly honest, if I, was, if I was in your position and someone said, today we're going to be talking about the devil, I would be a little bit like, oh, really? Cool. Nice. I'd be a, a little bit, honestly, a little bit skeptical. Um, and as I've read through the book, there's been stuff that I've been challenged on and stuff that I've been uh, trying to work out where I stand with. Um, and, you know, finding it difficult. The, the subject of the devil is something that I've, uh, and it's things like the devil and like spiritual warfare is stuff that I've been slightly wary of, slightly reticent of. I've seen it, um, I've seen it uh, not addressed very well. I've seen people get, um, I think people get obsessed with it or see the, see the devil's hand in, in everything that they, and they do. You've seen people say things like, oh, I've had a real attack of the devil this morning. I've been late for work three times in a row. But potentially that wasn't actually the devil. That might have been just a couple of extra snoozes on your alarm. I did once hear someone say in a, pr- a prayer in a prayer meeting against the spirit of miscommunication. And I thought, Marcus, I don't think there's a spirit of miscommunication. I just don't think you're very good at communication. Um, and things like that. So that's some reasons why I've been a little bit wary of it. And things like spiritual warfare. Sometimes maybe we've gotten a little overly militant in the past with our imagery. And I struggle to tally that with, with Jesus' nonviolence. And so that's why I come at this subject with a bit of wariness. Not really sure. Still working out where I, I stand on a few of those things. And I say that not to undermine uh, what I'm about to say. Uh, I'm not going to say anything that I don't believe this morning. And say that not to undermine the series as a whole. But just to come at it. Um, with honesty and openness before you guys, because after all, the series is called Live No Lies, so it would be remiss of me uh, to not start with some honesty on that front. And also, another point is, I don't think that I'm the only one um, who would be thinking that. I think there's others here uh, today thinking, ooh, the devil, really? Uh, and so I'm, I'm asking you to, to join with me as I'm sort of on that journey, working out what I think. Let's approach this with an open mind. Let's come together and go through it. On the journey together. One of my favorite ever sermons that I've heard was by uh, Mike Pilavachi uh, at Soul Survivor one year, and he was talking about humility. And at the start of the sermon, he said he had been wrestling with this about whether he should talk about it. He said to God, I can't talk about this. I'm rubbish at it. If I talk about this, I'll be a hypocrite. And he said that what God said to him was, Well, talk about it and tell them you're a hypocrite. So that's not quite what I'm doing today, but I wanted to be honest about where I am on the journey and invite you along. Um, with me if you're up for that. So that's, is that okay? That makes some sense? Thanks, guys. I feel very known and loved. Um, and there's a couple of other shorter and less important disclaimers. One is that with the subject of the devil and spiritual warfare, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to resist the temptation to make copious references to Marvel films and Star Wars throughout. Uh, so I apologize if you, if you haven't seen any of those films. If not, come and see me afterwards and um, I'll sort you out. <laughs> I was, I was getting worried for a little bit um, when, I, when I first came in. I thought, I can't see anyone here who gets these references. And then chicks came in. I thought, thank goodness for that. 
So I'm preaching, yeah, we're there. Uh, and the, the final, short, most, and least important of all my disclaimers is that this kind of subject often lends itself to the phrase, our souls. And I just want to promise you that I will be enunciating very clearly if ever I have to say that. Uh, and if that doesn't make any sense to you, then don't worry. Your mind is so pure and unsullied, you probably don't even need to listen to the rest of the series at all. Great. Let's, without further ado, let's get stuck right in. I want to start uh, by turning with ourselves in a... That's not my sense. Let's turn in our Bibles or Bible apps to Romans 7, verse 15. Now, I will be honest. Um, this isn't necessarily the sort of verse that you usually start with on a Sunday morning. It's not one you have up on your, um, on your fridge. Uh, maybe not quite as uh, encouraging as you might expect. But what, what do you want from me? My sermon is literally entitled The Devil Part Two. Um, so it says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking in a letter to the Romans. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. See, I told you. Um, but actually, I, can't, I find this quite encouraging as a verse, because this is the Apostle Paul the guy who wrote like most of the New Testament. And I can, really, uh, I can really empathize with that. I see myself in that. I think we all can a little bit. That feeling of frustration with ourselves, that feeling of, ah, oh, why have I done that again? Why have I given in to that temptation? Why am I sometimes like this so often? And uh, so yeah, I feel like we can all relate to this. And so I want to ask throughout this uh, talk, how do we get to this point? Uh, why is it that this is sometimes the case? And so we'll come back to that verse throughout, uh, throughout the talk. So just a little pointer back in. So, uh, something that whenever I speak, I'm always aware of, try and look ahead, see if there's any difficult words to pronounce. Sometimes if you've got something in the Old Testament, you might have to say some names like Abimelech or Mephibosheth or Melchizedek, all of which I just completely nailed just then, by the way. Um, or maybe you have like a Greek or uh, Hebrew word that you might need to work out how to pronounce. Um, but I thought, you know, John Mark Comer, 21st century pastor from Portland, uh, written a book. I should be pretty fine, not a problem. Anyway, apropos of nothing, let's have the first slide up and see what the title was for my chapter. Oh, come on! <laughs> uh, you, well, like me maybe when I first saw this word, might be thinking, what in the name of Theo Amos' impeccably groomed beard does this mean? And let me tell you, I have um, referenced Dr. John Google, uh, and he, I, I'm fairly confident that you pronounce it desinformatia, or desinformatia. Uh, I'm not entirely certain I'm putting the right emphasis and the right syllable there, but broadly, I am certain that this is the Russian word for disinformation. It's the name for the KGB strategy during the Cold War, uh, which was all about disseminating lies and half-truths and propaganda in order to uh, push their agenda, but also mostly to destabilize the West, to call into question uh, the nature of truth, to confuse and have chaos. Uh, and actually, John Mark Comer uses this as a really useful metaphor for the devil's assault on truth. You know, sometimes when we think of spiritual warfare, maybe in the past, the images that we've conjured up have been ones of, of battlefields and, and, and glory in that way. Maybe we might think of ourselves as Captain America, standing alone, half a shield. You can put up the next slide, actually. There we go. Um, in front of the hordes of Thanos' army. And I want to say that actually maybe that's not a particularly accurate or helpful picture. 
Um, well, first of all, because if I am the one standing alone in front of the hordes of army, then we're all in trouble, um, <laughs> metaphor or not. Um, and this is, again, where I say about struggling sometimes with the images of, of spiritual warfare, how, how that tallies with the nonviolence of Jesus. Um, and I think, yeah, there are better ways of looking at it, and John Mark Hammer details some of that. But one of the reasons why this isn't necessarily a good picture is, first of all, and here is some good news that we're desperately in need of already in this sermon, is that Jesus has already won. Amen? That's some good news. He's already won on the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, it says this, He cancelled the record of the charges against us, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Amen. That is some good news and a fabulous reminder when we're talking about this stuff that Jesus has already won the victory. And importantly, one of the things that I love about this is the way that he wins the victory. It's not in some glorious battle He wins it on the cross. He wins it by dying. That is the kind of God we have, the humility, that actually what what looks like defeat is actually victory. It is most undignified, it is most humble. That is the ultimate victory. And that is, I find, a really helpful way of of, uh, reframing uh, the spiritual warfare is that actually it's not a standard battle. We're not glorifying redemptive violence Jesus' victory is through humility and through death. So the battlefield image maybe doesn't work so well. A better image John Mark Comer suggests is that of a Russian hacker working behind the scenes, subtle and insidious through the internet, working to play on people's prejudices and fears. And even in popular culture, we can, we can see this. That sometimes the villains that really make an impact, that really um, effective, sometimes the ones that end up winning for a bit, are the ones more like this, who are less powerful on the battlefield. Emperor Palpatine, see, I told you, Emperor Palpatine doesn't, in Star Wars, this is Star Wars, by the way, you can switch off if you need to, uh, he doesn't win by um, making a full-on assault against the Galactic Republic in the first place. He wheedles his way in. He becomes part of the system. He deceives people. Um, he lies. And once they realize he's the enemy, it's too late. Um, if you, I assume most of you have bought your Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith scripts with you. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Um, but uh, one of the lines from Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, he's got an excellent um, uh, series just out on Disney+. Plus. Uh, he says, we, he was deceived by a lie. We all were. This is the enemy and the way he works. It's not through power, necessarily, but through lies and deception. And that's what we've got to be ready for. It's actually subtler and more insidious. War between truth and lies. That's what we're talking about in the spiritual warfare. And we see that in society even now, in a real way, where fake news, alternative facts, and social media echo chambers continue to polarize and divide us in our society. Where different sides of the political spectrum even don't seem to share the same baseline of facts. 
where conspiracy theories such as QAnon uh, can tear families and churches apart, where integrity seems to be sorely lacking in our political leaders even. The Washington Post previously calculated uh, that Donald Trump made over 2,000 false claims in the first year of his presidency. Our own prime minister is currently accused of lying to parliament. And even now, the Russian people are lied to by their government about the nature of the war in Ukraine. And they continue to lie and deny committing the atrocities that it's so clear they have. It can seem like in our society the truth it doesn't matter or that it can be so hard to pin down to find. Has the postmodern idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth won out? Has disinformatia wheedled its way in and, and, and made this the case? Well, no, I don't believe so. That's not what we think. Uh, the problem with the phrase, there is no such thing as absolute truth, is that it is itself a claim to be absolute truth. Um, I believe there is truth and we can find it. As has already been quoted today, Jesus says in John 14 verse 6 of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one we are aiming for. He is our guiding light. He is the truth we're looking to cling to amongst the chaos and confusion of the world. Um, I believe Flora quoted a couple of weeks back when she spoke, John 8:32. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There's a promise there that we can know truth. And that has an impact, that makes a difference. Jesus is absolute. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And as we've said already so much today, we can trust him. He is the truth we're aiming for. In amongst this chaos and confusion. And the, the impact of these lies is not just in society. Actually, uh, the more common lies are sometimes the ones in our head, the ones that we hear every day. And sometimes they are the more dangerous ones in the, in the longer run, the more relevant to what we are doing. Things like, I'm not good enough. Or, if people really knew me, they'd reject me. Or, I've got to be perfect to have peace. Or I can't trust anyone. Maybe some of these you recognize in your own head from time to time. So this is where we start to get back to that first verse talking about, I, I do what I don't want to do. Why is that? Um, I give in to the temptation when I know I shouldn't. And John Mark Comer uh, suggests that a good way of thinking about temptation is the appeal to believe a lie. I think that's quite a useful way of framing it. Um, the core idea of Live No Lies, the, the book we're going through, is, is this. Actually, this would be a good one to have on screen as a PowerPoint. I'm not actually very good at PowerPoints. I always forget to do them. If you used to put the next slide up, you can see that I'm not very good at PowerPoints. There we go. It's on the slide. Um, but I, do, I have stolen a PowerPoint slide, I think, from Theo's slide. So the slide after that is there we go. This is the core idea of Live No Lies. Deceptive ideas, these are the lies we're talking about, it's in reference to the devil, that play to disordered desires, that's in reference to the flesh, good luck to those who are talking about the flesh, next, um, which are normalized in a sinful society. So that is the ideas behind this, this book, that's one of the things we're, we're trying to be aware of. 
So as Flora established a couple of weeks ago, the devil is a liar. That's what he traffics in, in deception. That's what he does. But he's good at it. He knows what he's doing. It's not going to be necessarily obvious and easy to detect. Most convincing lies are partly true, maybe even mostly true sometimes, or they're just a part of the truth. And that's why it's difficult. That's why it's subtle and insidious. It's clever. And the bad news is, sociology tells us apparently, that we're actually not very good at detecting lies ourselves. Uh, Dr. Timothy Levine is the world leading expert on deception. Um, I haven't yet um, made a decision on whether I can trust the world leading expert on deception. Because I'm pretty sure if the world leading expert on deception wants to deceive me, he knows how. But still, let's take him at his word. He, has, he says, he claims, to have done research that has led to this truth default theory, which is the idea that actually as humans, we default to believing people are saying the truth. Uh, and actually it takes quite a lot of evidence to the contrary uh, to, for us to believe otherwise. It's linked as well to something called confirmation bias, uh, where we, this is a lot of what we see on the internet with our echo chambers, we actually only find our own views um, reflected back to us. We look for and we search for and we give high credence to that which we already believe. What that means for us is that it's easier to believe what we want to believe. And that links to the second part of this core idea about these lies that play to our desires. If, if, uh, if there's a lie that plays to something we sort of want deep down, it's much easier to fall for that. You see, the lies that impact us they're subtle, they're insidious, they're clever, they're maybe partly true, but they also, they play to what we want, they play to our desire. No one is tempted by the quite frankly ridiculous lie that I'm going to make up now, that uh, Prince Charles has been going around dressed as a cheerleader at night and stealing people's hubcaps around Bitten Park. No one is convinced by that. No one is tempted by that. However, you might be tempted by the lie that it's, it's okay to compromise your integrity if no one finds out, to take credit for something that maybe you didn't do, or to cover something up, you know, if it's in order to get that promotion, you know, you deserve it, really. That's a much more compelling, believable, um, and yeah, compelling lie, much easier to fall for. So this, again, starts to make even more sense of that first verse we went through. I do what I don't want to do. Why is that? Why do we give in to that temptation? In the book, John Mark Comer says, we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. We sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. There's an interesting definition of sin um, from our old friend Ignatius of Loyola, who, as we all know, is... That's right, he's the founder of the Jesuit movement. Now, on the, on the recording... It'll, it'll sound like you all knew, and you sound really convinced and clever. That's the, that's the key. Um, a good old Ignatius defines sin as this. He says, sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. 
So ultimately, the primary target of these lies, even if they're not directly speaking to it, the primary target is our trust in God. And interestingly, we've heard a lot about trusting God this morning already, haven't we? There is some really important words and songs that we sang talking about trusting God. And that is the primary target so often of the lies that we're told. And this is ultimately the lie behind all lies. It was the, the very original lie that we see in the story in Genesis 3, creation and the fall. The serpent says, did God really say that? He questions God's goodness, his trustworthiness, his word. And they fall for it. This is the lie behind all lies that we can't trust God. And what that leads to then, the temptation is to go your own way. To redefine good and evil on your own terms. John Mark Homer lists three fundamental questions in life. Um, that art, philosophy, religion, literature, over all the years of the human race, have been trying to answer. And this would have been a great time to put this on the, the PowerPoint, but if you flip to the previous PowerPoint slide, yeah, I'm not very good at PowerPoints, I didn't do that. So the three questions though, I think you can remember them, they're quite easy. One is, who is God, or is there a God, maybe more relevantly, uh, for our current society? Number two is, who are we? And three is, how do we live? So that again is, one, who is God? Two, who are we? And three, how do we live? And the lies we're talking about ultimately seek to mislead us on these points. And it's not always, in fact, not often, maybe that a lie that we, that we hear or believe is a direct answer to those questions. As we've said, it's subtler, it's more insidious than that. Actually, what it goes back is maybe it's, it links back a few, uh, a few steps from there. Maybe that is something you've heard. You've, you've believed the lie that I can't trust God or that God doesn't love me. But I likely... I imagine that wasn't the first thing. It was little bits of deception that led up to that point. And you can see why the devil would want to attack these things as fundamental questions. And you can see how that outworks in our society, as we said, where we see the effects of such desinformatia, where there is chaos, there's confusion, where there is uncertainty about truth, where truth can sometimes not seem to matter. Where an 18-year-old can buy an assault rifle and walk into a school in America and kill children and teachers. Where an autocrat can have his own whim and hubris invade a sovereign nation, causing untold devastation. You can see how that outworks. But then what about individually for us you might say well this is all grand and I can understand that but how do I apply it or what does that mean for me you might say actually I, with all those three questions who is God who are we and how do we live I give the right answers to it I know what I believe about that but yet I can still fall into the temptation I can still identify with that with that first verse I do what I do not want to do I wonder whether a slight reframing of the trust and belief that we've, we've talked about a lot might help here. See, when we say belief, often what we, we mean in a modern Western way is we see this as an intellectual decision. So it can, it can feel kind of weird uh, to say we give in to temptation when we believe the quote-unquote wrong things about God. 
when we know we believe you know, the right things, or we, we feel like we answer those questions correctly. But I think belief, in reality, is more than just intellectual assent. It's more than just thinking something. The word believe in the Bible uh, comes from a Hebrew word that actually literally, more literally means to stand firm, which we talked about even today as we, the words came through, to stand firm. So it's more than just thinking something. It's putting that into action. It's seeing that outwork in our everyday, standing firm on what we think. So even when we can quote the right beliefs, it doesn't necessarily mean that maybe we are really believing and putting that into action. So the question then to ask is, what is the lie that I have believed uh, that has led me to act like this? And I often find it quite difficult to try and answer that question, try and go back and sort of reverse engineer it. Uh, it's not always obvious. That's the point that we're making. And then trust in God, as we have sung and spoken so much about already today, it's something we often sing, uh, and importantly so. And usually that comes in, as we sung today, about in the context of tough times or storms that come uh, against us. And actually that's really important, I love that. But I've come to realize that the outworking of singing, that outworking of de- declaration of trust in God, is more often in the everyday, in the small decisions. Do I trust God knows best? Do I trust him enough to make those small day-to-day decisions to be more like him? Do I trust him enough to keep my integrity at work when it would be easier to tell a small lie and profit from it? Do I trust him enough to do the right thing when no one else can see? So, as we start to come into land here, what, what do we do about all of this? Well, sadly, I'm not entirely certain, because that's where my chapter ended in the book. Uh, so you're going to have to wait until next time to find out. That's, I mean, that is partly true. My chapter ended with two sentences. One sort of led into the next chapter, and the previous one before that said, they die. So, but I'm going to leave you with a little bit more than they die, um, hopefully, anyway. I had, I had three things to leave you with, which was nice and felt like a good three-point sermon. Then I thought of a last one, a fourth one, just at the last minute, which is just terrible. But, you know, it has to be said. First of all, the reason what I want to take away from this, first of all, is the reason we're going through this. It's important to know. It's important to be aware. We don't want to be naive about what we're facing. And the second point that I mentioned already, and this is an important point to not fall into despair, is that Jesus has already won. The victory is his. It's not down to us. Jesus has already won. I mean, if you take away one thing from today, maybe take away that. Hopefully you can take away more than one thing. Um, Next point, maybe something that's helpful as we try and apply this through our week, this week, is that reframing of trust in God. That maybe as we come across these small decisions to make in our everyday lives, to ask ourselves, or do I trust God with this in this moment? When we sense that temptation, when we... Uh, no, we might do that. Or, you know, we shouldn't react in that way or shouldn't um, do that thing. Ask ourselves, actually, do I trust God with this? What does trusting God look like in this situation? And it's not a silver bullet. It's not the, uh, the way that we overcome all temptation, but I find it quite a useful way of stopping and taking stock and going, okay then, how can I trust God with this decision in this point, in this moment? And thirdly, and I'm going to invite the band up at this point, if you guys want to come back up. 
We're going to have some time to respond. I think it's important that, uh, as we've talked about this, it's time to, to focus upwards, look to Jesus, and, and declare some truth over us as we've talked about lies. Uh, declare some truth over ourselves. Thirdly, what I want us to, to give a chance to do is actually to dwell on that and ask ourselves, ask the Holy Spirit, are there lies that I have believed, that I have taken on board, that have affected me, that have, have caused um, me to be destabilized in any way? And as I say, that can be subtler than we think. So often they're not the obvious, God doesn't love you, or this or that. Sometimes it's much more subtle than that. And I want to invite us a bit of time to reflect about what those might look like, what that might have been as the band start to play. We can ask the Holy Spirit for that. And as we do that, as we respond, uh, do feel free to come down. The prayer team will be up here. We're happy to pray with you guys about any of that or just where you are. Just pray with the Holy Spirit and ask him to, to point those out and ask him instead uh, to speak his truth over you. So just as we go into some response, I'm going to pray. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, that you are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are absolute. You never change. You never fail. Well, at this point, we, we cling to you. We look to you. Lord, we ask now as we stop and reflect, you would speak to us. Lord, if there are lies, if there are ways we've been deceived, ask you to reveal those to us. Whatever that looks like, however big or small, ask you would speak to us, Lord. We say we are open. Speak, Lord. Your children are listening. Lord, we leave you room. We leave you space. We thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, help us to be aware of the position we are in. Not to despair, Lord, but to not be naive, Lord, that we would be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.